Siam Nostelicha. Good afternoon. Satsumtum Sunatsnat, Daryl Hilaire. You're joining us here at uh, Friends and Relatives Podcast 2018. Today we have a guest from the uh, Puyallup Nation, Nancy Shippentower, longtime member of the Northwest Indian Fish Commission, active in uh, fighting and protecting our rights, our treaty rights, and right to uh, hunt and gather here in our Coast Salish homeland. Good, uh, good afternoon, Nancy. And I'd um, like to uh, maybe have you say hello to our audience and uh, maybe go a little bit further as an introduction to our visit here today. Well, thank you. I feel real honored to come up here and do this interview with you, Daryl. Um, my name is Nancy Shippentower Games. My mother na mother's name is Janet McLeod, Yetsi Blue. My father's name is Don McLeod, Waklaha. And we grew up in a um, very active family on the fishing rights in the 60s, 50s and 60s, I should say. Um, my dad went to jail for 60 days for, uh, for fishing him and, him and some, some of my relatives. This is them in jail meeting with their first attorney, Dick Gregory, or um, excuse me, Jack Tanner, who later, later became a federal judge in Washington State. And he was um, very active in protecting them and helping them. But when they were in jail for 60 days, people would ask him, why, why are you here? And they said, for fishing. And the other inmates didn't believe them. And they had to ask the guards if it was true they were in here for fishing. They said yes. And they actually kept him there to the last minute of their 60 days. Like, usually get time off for good behavior or something, but they never did. So uh, this is uh, leading up to the fishing wars and uh, culminating in the Bolt decision. And as I understand it, your uncle, Billy Frank, joined... Uh, uh, your father and these other um, men that were practicing their treaty right uh, after uh, things started to heat up? Well, he joined them in jail, yes. Yeah. He joined them in jail, but the thing about it is uncle had to stay in there another week. He, they wouldn't let him out. And then um, uncle became a spokesperson for all of us, an environmentalist, an activist, and and um, he represented a lot of our people when he spoke. I remember that. He spoke very, very well, very strong, courageous uh, tone in talking to the press, talking to the judges and the lawyers and our own people and getting them united around this fight. So how did that, uh, how did that affect you as a young child uh, during this time? And what were, what were the thoughts that were going through your mind as your mother and your father were taking a stand? Well, I thought it was just the way of life. Um, when my dad was in jail right there, I was like eight years old, and uh, my mom said, um, I got to take Nancy up to Wool Woolworth to get some shoes because, you know, we didn't have shoes. We taped our shoes together. You know, we were very poor. And But as a child, I didn't look at it look at it like that 
And so I was really excited because I got to go see my dad. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I went up there and um, when I went up to the um, stairs, there's this steel wall. And in the steel wall, there was a little thing where you could just look in and see his eyes. And I start crying. And I had a hard time not crying. And he was trying to calm me down. And, you know, I just wanted to reach in and grab him, but I couldn't. And um, so uh, my mom says, my mom was telling me, knock it off. You're going to make your dad feel bad. And so then he put me down. I went and seen the, the rest of them in there. And my cousin, Curly Kid, babe, Herman John's right here in Nuji, they started joking with me and got me laughing. And so the next time they had another visit with the other inmates and uh, my Uncle Billy was there and he was teasing me and they got me laughing again. But my dad said, yeah, when we back, went back to the room, everybody just cried because they knew that the wives didn't have money coming in. They knew that their children were hungry. They knew that the bills weren't getting paid. And so the women went out and went fishing anyway and, and you know, tried to find a way to, to help each other. And that's what they did. They worked together to help each other put food on the table. And, and uh, the men were taking a stand. Yes. They decided right then and there that uh, despite all that hardships, they were going to take a stand and if they have to go to jail, they're going to go to jail for what they believed in. Yeah, they did not take this lightly going to jail. They actually had a meeting with their families. I remember these meetings. You know, I remember him talking to mom and, and uh, you know, that saying little pitchers have big ears, you know. <laughs> and, and I'd be sitting in there, you know, and they'd be talking and she'd be crying. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. But they knew that they had to make this stand. So your mother, Janet McLeod, is that when she first started getting active in, in uh, the fishing wars and standing up for rights? And yes. Fighting for uh, what she believed in? Yes. She, she fought for not only, not only fishing rights, treaty rights, she fought for homeless people. She fought for the welfare system. She fought for a decent education for our young people. You know, she fought for the power to women and, and the power to children and foster care. You know, she wrote a letter called Operation Rotten Apple about how they took our kids out of uh, their homes and put them in non-Indian homes. And so pretty soon she had a knock on the door and she opened the door and there was a foster care worker there with my cousin saying, here, here's your rotten apple. And she, <laughs> she pushed my cousin in there. You can have them. <laughs> Hmm. So my mother started taking in kids that had nobody. and So can you tell us a little bit about uh, her going to the, the federal prisons to get, she fought for spirituality too. She fought for the sweat lodges to Yeah, how did that happen? Or what did well, she do? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> they invited her out there. I think it's American Indian Brotherhood in McNeil and she started going out there and then uh, she realized that they had no spirituality out there for Native Americans. And so then she just started fighting with the prison systems about putting sweat lodges out there and letting them have their eagle feathers and their pipes and stuff. 
and and it worked very well. But unfortunately, she got kicked out of out of the prison, and they banned her from there for a while. And then, and then afterwards, after she went to the governor and everything, they let her go back in there. But uh, she went to the governor. Yes, she went all. She went to uh, She went to the federal, the senators, and all of them. You know, uh -huh. after uh -huh. they kicked her out, and then she brought in. Uh, like Jane Fonda and, and Dick Gregory and, you know, celebrities to meet with these inmates and to encourage them that once they get out that, you know, they should make a better life. And then what happened, too, is, like she talked about the fasting and the meditation and the prayers to the Creator. Well, they couldn't do that, so then they'd request to go in solitary confinement so that they could do their, um, their, their fasting and stuff and meditation. Interesting. So they made it harder on themselves just so they could practice their own spirituality. Their yeah. Own and then, then it kind of bothered the guards because when you have all these Native Americans saying, put us in solitary. <laughs> so we could do, because, you know, it's, uh, that's what we do is we go on those vision quests to help us. So is that why she went back to Minnesota to help the folks back there to get uh, things going? Well, that happened, Minnesota happened in, um, 1969, 68, something like that. Later, yeah. We went back to Minnesota because I was supposed to get married in New York, Six Nations, and I changed my mind at the last minute. And so on our way back, we stopped in Minnesota and met with Dennis Banks and Russell Means and the Bella Courts and them. And, and then, uh, then they came to Washington State and they came to her home. Well, why'd they come out? Uh, they wanted to visit, or would they have some plans? They, they had, had plans to put an American Indian movement together. And so that happened out? Out there in the Northwest. Wow. She was one of the co-founders of it. Hmm. And she actually adopted them all, as a, and they were like her little brothers, because she was older than them. And, and they listened to her. Mm -hmm. kind of what, she's, what was she like saying, or what was the fe general feeling when they came out, was it uh, like we got we got to talk about this, or were they asking for advice? They were asking for advice and help, because mom had a lot of teachers in, in like um, Homer Settler and Craig and Thomas Pinaka and um, Sundance Philip Deer, Sundance teachers from South Dakota and and Isidore Tom from up here and um, Kenny Moses and Herman Williams. You know they all supported her, Pinoke, you know, they all helped her. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. What's the connection with uh, Tulalip and, and... My mother's Tulalip. That, yeah, so maybe you can kind of take us through the family tree a little bit then, because she she lived in... She lived all over. She lived was, all over, okay. She was... Uh, my grandmother was in these boarding schools, and my grandmother was a real... Um, like, you couldn't go up and hug her. She wouldn't hug you. Or she wasn't like like that. And so one day I started talking to her and asking her questions. She goes, I don't want to talk about the boarding schools, you know. And so then finally one day she said, oh, I'll tell you about them. So we sat down, and she was talking about the boarding schools. She goes, you know, they, they would put us in trains, and it was really cold. They would send us to Alaska. We would live in Alaska during the winter. Then it was real hot. They sent us to Arizona. She goes, and all the while you could hear babies and little children crying and crying and crying. 
And she goes, and we never made friends with anyone because we didn't know if they were going to live or not. And so she said, I just hate talking about this. She goes, then the young girls, when they reached puberty, they were, they were raped by, the, by their teachers or by that priest. And so were the, so were the, the uh, boy students. My grandfather talks about that. He said, Willie Frank Sr., he said, do you know why those nuns wear those dresses? And I said, no. He goes, because you could, because they were pregnant underneath there. They were raping the young men. And um, so, <coughs> so then when um, my grandmother didn't have that. Um, so my mother went from foster home to foster home too growing up. And, but she, lived on First Avenue in Seattle, and she learned how to cook. I mean, everybody liked her. She went from home to home to home, apartment to apartment, whatever it was in Seattle at that time. And she learned how to cook international food. And so when her and my dad met, she taught them all how to cook different kinds of foods. And, but with that too, she brought, she became strong because when, when they would come home from drinking at a bar, she would hide her little sisters under the bed. And she had a cousin, his name was Warren, Warren Hayes, and Manny from, uh, from Tulalip. And they would protect these young girls, and they had bats and everything. And, and so she learned how to fight at a young age mm -hmm. to protect her. Mm -hmm. And so your grandmother was enrolled yeah, and that's where the boarding school was back then too, wasn't it? One of them. I don't know. She no. talked about just how they transported her mm -hmm. all over. Mm -hmm. And your grandfather, though, who she Renneker. I never with. really knew him. Uh huh. His name was John Renneker. They were friends. My mom and uh, my grandma and John Renneker, and um, they just ran away from a school together, and then. Things happened, but that was it. And mm -hmm. She had my mom, but they never stayed together. Mm -hmm. Run away from boarding yeah. school. Yeah, I've heard those stories before, too. Yeah. yeah. So. But yeah, Henry, the Henrys, like, um, like Loretta Joseph was her first cousin. And Loretta was a Henry. Yes. Yeah. Roy, Leroy Henry was her father, and Leroy Henry was my grandma's brother oh that's how you're related yes yeah huh and that's where your mom's buried then yes she's it's buried there at Tulalip. well first she wanted to be well, she's cremated but first she wanted to be buried by dad my dad's buried in a backyard of um i took you there isn't yeah, that where i took you yeah. yeah and um then at the last, she said, no, I want my mom. I want my mom. Take me to my mom. Mm -hmm. So we brought her up and buried her by her mother. Mm -hmm. wow. So uh, when, uh, when the fights were going on, the, the Puyallup were, were up there fighting with the FBI at the same time Billy and them were having their wars down in the, how did they all fought together or how did they yeah, all, they all fought together all, they went from, maybe you can uh, describe because ramona bennett was involved and yeah, and ramona bennett got involved later on uh-huh and um but but there ramona was 
in the in the takeover of Cascadia, she was the chairman of the tribe at that time. Mm. And then the, What's that about, the takeover? The takeover. <laughs> what they did, I wish I wasn't pregnant, I would have went is, there. This is Puyallup then, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cascadia was a diagnostic center for um, troubled kids. And a lot of my cousins went there. And uh, it was like a jail, too. But uh, one day they just went in there and one night and took it over and wouldn't leave because the state was going to sell it and it's federal land. And they said, no, you can't sell it. You have to give it back to us. And they had, they had everything ready for when they came. They had their attorneys and everybody, and their police officers, everybody ready. So they went in and they took it over in the middle of the night. But Ramona could probably talk more on that than I could. I wasn't there, but you'll it was to, something. You'll have to arrange an interview for Ramona and us so we can come. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Could you? Yes. Maybe the both of you, we can talk to you about that. So how did this shape your uh, your activism yourself? Uh, what is it that your mom left you or your father left you to um, motivate you to get involved? Like you said, it was like normal earlier, you know, to speak up, to fight, to uh, to go the extra mile, for you, it was going across the country, but. <laughs> um, I guess it's the compassion and the love and um, the spirituality and the strength that they had. I mean, it, 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 I had great parents. My dad was, he taught the, his young daughters to be strong. He taught us to fix our own cars, to change our own tires, to, um, you know, don't let a man push you down, put you down or push you down or beat on you. And um, he taught us to defend, he took us to karate classes, you know, hmm. to take care of ourselves. He taught us how to fish, to hunt, to smoke fish. And mom taught us how to can, to talk, to, to, um, different things, and then we had all these things going on at my mom's house. I mean, there was something going on there all the time. There was never a dull moment at mom's house. And uh, so each one of us, there was, she had eight kids, and each one of us had, had a different role. Oh, hi, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Each one of us had a different role to do in these yeah these conferences he had or, mm -hmm. you know, and I really don't know what role I took on. I became involved in, uh, I was pregnant with my son and my dad put me on the, uh, had me nominated for the fish commission in Yelm or in Yelm, in Puyallup. And so I'm on there with five guys and they had to choose the chairman at that time. And they chose me. The chairwoman there. Yeah. And five guys. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, was, what an experience. I know it, and I was on it for years. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty interesting. Mm. So um, then you got on Northwest Indian Fish Yes, I, be, how, I got on. How did that happen? Well, I was, uh, oh, we were in a meeting. This is when I first met Doreen and Lorraine. And we were in a meeting in, um, in Seattle. We went up there with, with our... Uh, policy rep 
And so there's me and Allison and Kathy. Allison and Kathy were both on council. And so one of the guys was pointing at our policy rep because the northern tribes wanted, wanted to intercept all our salmon. And the guy from, uh, he's Ron Allen's uh, policy rep, he pointed his finger at our, at our guy and he says, you need to fight for your people. He goes, oh, I think we're done fighting for fishing or something. He said something like that. And Allison and Kathy looked at me, and I stood up, and I walked up and tapped him on the shoulder, and I told him to get back, and I sat down. I said, you want a fishing war? I will give you a fishing war. <laughs> and Doreen was walking back and forth smoking. Her From Upper Skagit? Yeah, and she yeah. stopped, and they all stopped and looked at us. I said, yeah, you're not doing this to us. And we went to battle with the northern tribes. Hmm. Well, which northern tribes were they then? Was All of you guys. All of us, huh? <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. And then Randy says, well, Randy, Randy was trying to get tough with me and Allison, and, and, uh, but he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't outwit us. As much as he tried, he couldn't do it. Wow. And that was your baptism at that point? Then. Yes. Hmm. Well, I think I was baptized a long time ago. I just expressed yeah. my experience in that meeting. Yeah. And sure, we don't want to fight with other tribes, but, you know, when Bolt gave our 50% away and he just gave them to all the tribes to fight in, you know, fight amongst themselves for that 50%. And, and so then we were able to work out a deal with, with the northern tribes. I mean, it took about six to seven months to do it, but we were able to do it. What's the difference between fighting amongst your own people and then fighting against the state and fighting against the, uh, you know, the Gildenetters Association and all that? There was a, it was a constant fight constant. in the 70s and 80s, you know, and it's like everybody was standing up and flexing their rights, you know, and maybe kind of reflect a little bit on that. And but the thing about it is the Gildenetters and them didn't have treaty rights. Yeah. Only the tribes did. Yeah. And then Rosalini wanted to make this the sportsman paradise. He wanted to bring fishermen over and, you know, get rich on the salmon. And But yet, yeah, we were in the way because of our nets and the way we fished and the gill netters and the, you know, things like that, saners that you guys had. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, um, you know, we had to fight the, the gill netters. You know, I went to... I went to a meeting one time with, who was it, Gordon? Was he the, huh? Yeah. So it was at night, they did this, um, they were doing these hearings. And so I just went down, took my daughter down and give her a little bit of experience. She was like 12 or something, wasn't she? And it got crazy in there. Hostile, hostile. And there was only a few of us natives there. The rest were all non-Indian, gillnetters, saners, and everything. They threatened to cut off my uncle's braid. And they, they would, and he wouldn't call point of order. And, but he made sure that my uncle and him, who were given a testimony, were, they only had like five minutes, he'd stop them. But these other people, he let them, like they were going in an uproar. I, I was, my daughter got really scared. She just grabbed me. She goes, uh, Mama, they're going to hurt us. And I said, well, I don't 
know. But in my mind, I didn't know what was going to happen when we walked out of that hearing. And so then the police officers must have seen something because they came. And he didn't call them. Gordon didn't call them. And they came, and they um, escorted us to our cars to make sure. And as we were going out, these guys are following us, screaming. And mad. and there's only like 12 of us. Racist Yes, very, I mean, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, could be your own friends. Yeah. Hmm. Scary. Yes, it was very scary. Hmm. I come home and look out my window, watch out my window, see if any of them followed me home, you know. Was, mm-hmm. That's how bad it was. My husband said, let him try to come in here. <laughs> Let's go back to how your mom brought the world to uh, to your home. And uh, as I understand it, Dick Gregory came up to support oh, your beautiful people. Beautiful Dick Gregory. How did that happen? How did he get there? What did he do? And the Black Panthers showed up, and yes. they tried to bring him back. And I want you to come with me. Uh, they're having a, I think it's a 50th anniversary celebration of the Black Panthers in Seattle in April. And uh, a woman was at our office the other day, and she's part of that organization. She wanted to know if I knew anybody. I said, yeah, I got the right person. And so you, you'll have to come with me, and you can tell that story or, or share some stories of, with uh, the work that you did with uh, Mr. Gregory and and those people that uh, you went down to visit down in Oakland, I think. Yes. And then they came up to to your house. Yes. Yeah. Maybe take us through that. Well, they oh. actually came up to the encampment. Oh. And then then a couple of them came to, to mom's was house. The encampment at? It was on the Capitol grounds across from the jail. Oh. So Marlon Brown, Dick Gregory came up first. And he went fishing a couple of times. Then they arrested him. And... Uh, you were he, fishing with your dad or your, some of the fishermen? Or? Yes. Huh. And, uh, and they charged him, and he was convicted. And so he had to spend 60 days in jail. And he goes, I can do this. I can do this. And then, uh, but he always would come up and do benefits for us. He was really good at that. I remember going to the yachts club with him and up in Seattle, going to all these places. We'd dress up in our regalia, and we'd dance. And then he would come on and, you know, raise money and talk about the Native people, Native Americans. And uh, so he went home and talked to Marlon Brando. And so Marlon Brando came up and he goes, well, I'm going to go to jail like Dick Gregory did. You know, I'm going to do this. And he went on a Pellet River with Robert Satikam. Well, they arrested him, but the only thing they wanted was his autograph. And he was really disappointed because they didn't charge him or anything. And so Dick Gregory went to jail, and my mother set up an encampment across from the jail to give him support, to let him know we were there, that we were thinking of him. So as we're in the encampment, um, they never, you know, they threatened her and everything to kick her off, but they never did. And so she would not let adults come in there because um, she felt that the young people I mean, we had, there was a lot of young people there. So she said, we'll just let the young people um, go to jail. You know, if anybody gets arrested, be young people that they will arrest. And so um, then we're there one night, and here comes the Black Panthers. And they come in a teepee, and they said, and I met with Mom. And they were kind of upset because Dick Gregg was in jail for fishing rights. And, uh, and he had told them, I'll choose what fight. I'm going to fight. 
And at that time, he would he came up to the Northwest to meet with the Native Americans. And Mom was the only one who would meet with them. Mom and, and that organization. And, and so that's how that, but he became a good friend of our family. And they sent for his wife because he was dying now. And, and they let the encampment stay up there for a long time. And so then the judge had him, well, Robert Culp, Nancy Nguyen, and Bill Cosby showed up in court to try to get the judge. And Robert Culp was really upset with, with us. And um, anyway, um, the judge said no. They weren't going to let him out. And so he was dying now, and they sent him to the hospital, and they sent for his wife. Was he fasting or something? Yes, he was fasting, fasting, and he wouldn't eat nothing. And they sent for his wife, and they told his wife, um, you, need to, uh, you need to sign so we can feed him to an IV. And she looks at him. She goes, what do you want me to do, honey? And he goes, if I'm going to die for this cause, then I'm going to die for it. And she goes, well, I'm not signing nothing. So they went back and told the judge, and he said, release him immediately. He's not dying on my watch. And they let him go. And then that's when the cops came in and arrested my sister and I don't know how many other kids. And at the encampment? Yeah, at the encampment. They arrested young people. They wouldn't arrest, they said, we're not arresting adults. And they took everything down. But he was free now. They didn't need to do that no. at all. No. Mm. So So then you guys went down to Oakland to, to meet the Black Panther? My mother did, yes. Oh, she did? Yes, oh, she after did. that happened? And yes. Just to further unite? Yes. Because we all had the same issues almost, except for they did not have treaty rights. And they were forced over here. You know, they went to Africa and stole them from their people and brought them over here. And so... Um, our people, if you look through history, our people were sympathetic with the, with the slaves during that time. And if you go over to East, you'll see a lot of intermarriage, and that's because the tribes would bring the slaves into their tribes and hide them so that they wouldn't... These sla yes, these slave owners wouldn't kill them or do what they were doing, because they seen it. Mm -hmm. Even though they were suffering, see that... Our people suffer, but they still have that compassion for other human beings. Even today, they still have it. Mm -hmm. <coughs> that's beautiful. Uh, that's all the time we got time for, Mark. Um, you, you got any closing questions or anything? Bo, you got any? What, do you have any advice for people as they fight new fights today? Just stay strong. And you know what? What people need to do is quit bringing the negativity into these movements. You know, the, the FBI would send people in, the, like they sent people in the Wounded Knee, they sent people in the Fishing Rights, they sent people in all these things to be disruptive, like the Black Panthers. They sent those drugs into the Black Panthers. It was the federal government who did that, who disrupted all of these things. So people need to be careful and just keep the negativity out of these movements. You know, if you're going to go in and fight for Mother Earth, then fight for Mother Earth. If you're going to go in and fight for this, you know, our children or whatever, 
fight for them, but keep the negative out of it. You know, not everybody can step up and be a leader. You know, if you have a leader, support that leader, but don't get jealous and envious of them. And that's the problem. Or, you know, my mother went through that. I watched her go through that. I watched um, um, Rus uh, Russell Means and Dennis Banks and John, all of them go through that. And it's horrible how your own people can pull you down. It's the crab pot syndrome. And we need to get out of it. Right. There's nothing but love for human beings. And that's what people need to look at. We're not racist. We weren't racist. The education system makes you a racist. And so does the politicians. They make, look at, I'm not even going to say his name, but you look at what's going on. But that's been happening to our people for generations. I want to I say something. Yesterday I was watching the news and this woman gets on the news and she goes, well, all he wants to do, the president wants to do is, is make America white again. And I'm thinking, it was never white. Before anybody came over here, all the people were brown. So what is she talking about? You know, where's their education at? Awesome. Thank you, Nancy Shippentower. This is the Friends and Relatives podcast. And uh, thank all of you for listening today. And we'll be back soon. Aishka CM, Nostalgia CM. Awesome. Thank you.